Hello and welcome to the Forum Club. We have passed the one-year mark of the Lakers season. I believe this is something like our 53rd episode of the Forum Club. Uh, started off as the Magic Hour early in the season. Transitioned into solely the Forum Club. During the shutdown, we welcomed in Anthony Slater and we do so again today. What's up, Slater? Bill, welcome to what is always the playoff ladder. You're experiencing it really the first time. Where now this is the fourth series we're talking about it i love the progression of the playoffs this is as strange as it's been you know covering it from the outside it doesn't provide to you the the city by city feel that you get you know climbing up the ladder to different west cities and then you get an east city but um it's fun right it's fun to kind of like follow a team through different matchups and uh see them kind of climb and this is the nba finals like we are we are at the uh you know the ultimate destination of this season and this Lakers team, which had a goal and really a determination to get here for the first time in a decade, um, has done it, you know, really in a pretty efficient manner, um, you know, in terms of taking care of Portland, Houston and Denver all in five games, really with very little drama, with the exception of uh, Anthony Davis's game two winner uh, in, in the Western Conference finals. But it's interesting. I was I was talking to somebody the other day and who was kind of giving not me necessarily, but kind of the media a hard time for constantly pointing out the things that could have happened in those previous series and how the Lakers could have lost to Portland and Houston and Denver. And the thing that I keep going back to is those were not made up narratives. Those were not things that were um, complete stretches just to build tension. There were reasons to think Portland could give the Lakers at least some trouble. I don't think anyone really thought they were going to lose that series. But Houston created match matchup problems. Denver was playing exceptionally well. And I think the fact that the Lakers are here in the finals after playing just 15 postseason games so far is a real testament to how they were consistently always that much better than those other teams. Those were, have all really been great games. There have been a few blowouts along the way, but the majority of those playoff games have come down to the fourth quarter when the Lakers have just you know, ratcheted up their level of play. They've clamped down defensively and have just been, you know, you know, five to 10 points better in the fourth quarter than those other very, very capable playoff teams they've encountered. And that to me has really been the mark of this, uh, this playoff run where the Lakers have just been that determined and that focused. Yeah. I think it's a testament to their team defense, which is like something that in general, when we break down matchups and stuff, it's just like not discussed as much. You think one on one, you know, I mentioned it in the first round. I remember going in, it was like Avery Bradley's gone. How will they ever contain Damian Lillard? But it's like, you know, we got to stop acting like it's Contavious Caldwell Pope is just going to be on an island on Damian Lillard all game. You know, you have huge wings behind them you have schemes that frank vogel's drawn up you have anthony davis at all time looming um you could trap you can double you can do so many different things that just don't require you to have a just stopper and the lakers do not necessarily have what you consider a perimeter stopper um but i think it's been made clear in these playoffs from portland to what they did to james harden and westbrook and houston and even to the denver series um they have I don't know the best defensive basketball. I think we might find that out because Miami's got a lot of really good defensive ingredients. But um, that, I think, I don't remember if it was Vogel who said this, but that's kind of their third star was their team defense. It was a great line. It was a great line because we've talked so much uh, throughout this season and especially going into the postseason about who was going to step up as the Lakers' third best player. A ton of discussion about whether it was Kyle Kuzma. And if it wasn't Kyle Kuzma, then who could it possibly be? And, and Frank Vogel at one point said, it's our defense. Our defense serves the role as, as, as the third best player. It's certainly the most third most important element. 
And I thought it was a very astute um, way of looking at this team that has such a um, such a high level uh, tandem at the top, right? I mean, at this point, certainly they've made a case that they're the best tandem in the league, and obviously the best tandem left standing in a two in a two team playoff. But to me, the the Lakers have really acquitted themselves of all those questions about whether or not they have the depth or the um, the support for LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Almost regardless of what happens in these finals, the Lakers could lose, and I think that that what they've done up to this point in the playoffs has validated. You know, everything Frank Vogel said over the course of the year, his trust in Rajon Rondo, which, you know, a lot of people, you know, gave, gave them a hard time about everything that the front office did in the wake of Magic Johnson's resignation. It's been an insane 16 months, maybe, if I'm doing my quick counting right, since we go, going back to the night Magic Johnson resigned. When you look at, you know, the way the coaching hire worked out, the moves they made in the offseason, the Anthony Davis trade where you ship, you know, half your team to New Orleans to get to get one guy. It's really validated everything that's happened up to this point because if you have a chance to get in the finals, if you have a team in a, in a leader like LeBron James who can help can, who can get you to the finals, you have to go all in. And the Lakers went all in. They're in a position to win a championship and it's I think validating is just the word I keep going back to because the number of questions this team has faced for a year and a half I think they've virtually all been answered and there's just one left and that's can they close it out. Depth is an interesting uh, conversation right now because you know I've seen a bunch of people I don't know who sparked the conversation online but it was basically hey the Lakers have the two best players in this series which they do um, but after that how many Heat players do you count before you get to the next Laker player and you know people are saying you could legitimately get up to eight um, and that had you know and I'm not even necessarily disagreeing with you if we went down the list of like Heat players and particularly Heat players as I peer into the future who I'd rather have you know I'm going uh, obviously, yeah, Bam, Jimmy, you know, Tyler Hero, Jay Crowder's been great. I don't know if you want to throw Iguodala. Is he, you know, what he does um, better than, than some of the other guys. But, the, I mean, the, the thing is, that's been the conversation. Like, hey, Portland might. Well, Every Portland series. Yes, yes, I'm glad you're there because that's been the conversation. Denver, it was the, it was the series yeah. where it's like, oh, Jamal Murray, Jokic, Gary Harris. And you know, those are players that, you know, are better than the Lakers supporting cast. But the Lakers top two is so good. And then the and then the collective has been so focused. And by the way, Rondo, Dwight, the players who we we kind of discount on this team have been have been there in the big moments for this team. They have absolutely delivered. You know, Marquise Morris to me, you know, had kind of been a waste of a roster spot until you got into that Houston series. Rondo, you know, regular season Rondo was uh, really uninspiring, tepid in in every way. He's been kind of the MVP of this team. It's unbelievable. Well, I, you know, I would say like, look, if, if you were like, would you rather have Gary Harris or Rayshon Rondo, either number one moving forward in their careers, I would take Gary Harris. Or, you know, I don't know if I'm just on like a, a random team where Rondo's imploded before, I'd be like, oh, give me Gary Harris. But Rondo in this moment, like he was he was more important. He was a better player than Gary Harris in that series. Dwight Howard was a better player than what Paul Millsap, I would say, in that series. He was a better player than definitely Mason Blumley, who I thought might have been the worst player in the series. Like, you know, the Caldwell Pope has had a really consistent yes. playoffs. I'd probably say he's been their third best player. And it's like the Lakers' depth is playing up. And I just think because of the moment, because who their leaders are, the, the veteran leadership in that locker room, they've been able to steer Rajon Rondo and Dwight Howard for example who have been like I said disasters in their last stops like almost out of the league type disasters they have you know I don't know like captain them to this moment where it's it's a perfect situation and they're playing better than their value might be across the league 
but that's all that matters. If Dwight Howard is just, just as impactful as he was in the West Finals, if he's that impactful in the NBA Finals, then he's the you know, sixth best player in the series. Even if we were lining the list, he's not the sixth best player. And the other element of that is with Dwight and Rondo, is those are two guys who have not tasted the finals in more than a decade each. And this is what they came to LA for. This is why they wanted to align with LeBron James. And so if you give those guys who have it in them to play with the kind of edge we saw in the conference finals and who are motivated... If you give them that sort of opportunity, it's not surprising that they would really rise to that occasion. Like you said, almost out of the league for both of them. The fact that this could potentially be their last shot or maybe however long they're with the Lakers, their final opportunity to win championships is a huge motivating factor for two guys who I think you very easily could have seen never getting that opportunity again. So for them to actually summon something a little deeper when that's at stake is not surprising at all to me. We'll be right back after this. I want to zoom out of this matchup before we zoom into it. Because you mentioned something there with Dwight. And it's funny, I was doing, you know, because I'm doing this dual role right now. Where I'm writing Lakers and Warriors. And um, one of the topics, the Warriors are currently in, like, training camp. And they their center spot is in an ugly position right now. Where Marquise Chris is probably their starter next year. And Kevon Looney, who's super injury prone, is their only other center on the roster. I am advocating that they should draft James Wiseman. Um, and so I, you know, I kind of wrote a story about that. Talked to Steve Kerr last week about how, like, hey, are you looking at the conference finals with Dwight and Anthony Davis and you know Jokic and the fact that the centers in a lot of ways are like there in front of the Warriors' potential path back next year. Um, and you know, I was looking at what different veteran centers it might make sense for the Warriors to go after uh, in free agency. You know, potentially with the mid level and. I kind of thought Dwight was a good option for them. I'm sitting there going, you know, it'd be a good answer. Like looking at this. Well, what's a good answer for Nikola Jokic? How about the answer that is happening right now in the West finals, Dwight Howard. Um, so I guess my question to you is like, what do you think Dwight's future is? And he, we can even talk Rondo, but um, at, because this does feel kind of like a one time, let's just go after it type thing mm-hmm. before your careers are over. But also like, particularly Dwight's like still relatively young and in really good shape. And like, is he going to get like a mid-level type offer to, to leave the Lakers? I mean, I almost wonder if it, if it could end up being more than that on a, on a one-year deal or with a player option where somebody's going to pay, pay a little bit more to get him in there. Because to me, it is, you know, he has been a championship level player for them and a game changer really from the beginning. If you go back to the start of the regular season, he was coming in and making a huge impact off the bench. He's been in tremendous shape. He's much lighter than he was um, in Charlotte and Washington. Um, he's been healthy after his back surgery. I mean, there hasn't been a single instance of Dwight having any of those recurring injuries crop up. It's kind of been a, a dreamlike year for him. And he's, by and large, I think, avoided controversy or some of the kind of off-court antics that have made him feel unemployable in the past. You know, I obviously got after him when he was uh, on Instagram Live early in the bubble at, you know, twice a day talking about um, how he was opposed to vaccines and how he didn't like the mask rules in the bubble. I didn't like that. But put that aside, he has been um, you know, really a, a consummate citizen in that locker room. And the, and the players seem to love him. LeBron seems to keep him in line. I think the only thing I'd worry about is, or not even worry, but I would just, if I was bringing him in, I'd want to make sure that we had a culture in place 
that that was going to force him to you know really adhere to the culture that was in place and you know the Lakers obviously had that with LeBron you know I think the Warriors do as well I mean we're obviously a year removed from having really seen it at full force but you know the Steve Kerr Steph Curry you know Clay Thompson triumvirate of leadership is very very well established and I think that you know it's clear that you either come in and adapt or you're not going to you're not going to last and so I think that that is one of the few places where I could see Dwight coming in and you know come in and and you know, play this 20, 25 minute a night He'd role. Start. He'd start. I mean, imagine him playing 22 minutes, 23 minutes as a starter and giving them that vertical threat and that, and that back line of defense. I mean, it's just, it, that, that to me makes a ton of sense. And Slater, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there was some interest from the Warriors in Dwight way back in 2013 when he left the Lakers. Um, you know, I think he had a meeting with the Warriors before he signed ultimately with Houston. That money ended up going to Iguodala and that ended up being a good decision. Yes. And, and listen, that's not the Dwight Howard you wanted, by the way. That was not the version of Dwight that you'd be getting now for, you know, $6 million or $10 million, whatever it would be. I mean, this is a an evolved Dwight. And this year, though, was such a perfect storm where he was yeah. coming out of you know, real skepticism from the league that he could contribute or be a or or be a role player. And he has been repeatedly validated in, you know, his decision to come to the Lakers. He has exceeded expectations. He has completely delivered. And if you start kind of removing some of those doubts or that kind of, you know, forced Dwight to toe the line, does he then start getting comfortable and become kind of the Dwight we've seen before because like people don't really change. Yeah. My biggest question would be the on court. Does he go, okay, now I'm awesome. I get, can I get like, I don't yeah. know, 10 post-ups again, right. you know, can you feature me offensively? How can I be on the billboards where it's like, I wonder if this year he did discover what his role in the NBA now is, particularly in a 2020 NBA where he's past his prime. It's like rim run, high energy, irritate, you know, block some shots and then, hey, this isn't your matchup. Go sit on the bench and clap. Um, and if if there is a role acceptance beyond the season, not a, hey, this is a rejuvenation. Now I want to be an all-star again. Right. Um, that's, you know, a big change. Which let, let's now, I, I want to flip this to the current matchup. Because I want to talk about what Vogel might do at the center spot. Because, yes, by the end of that series, it was very clear that the smartest move was to start Dwight and have him try to irritate and get Jokic in foul trouble. Now, Miami's a very different beast they are they're different than the lakers have seen at all but they're more houston-y in their starting lineup they have duncan robinson who is a complete floor spacer at the three jay crowder who's taking eight threes a game right now is playing the four spot uh and bam Adebayo is their only big on the floor and he's not a traditional big i mean he's very large but he is out on the perimeter he's playmaking he'll bring the ball up at times like it's almost a five out system even though Adebayo is inside sometimes and that is challenging for a ad dwight or an ad javel front line to play against so personally i think they should take javel off the table and say what makes more sense keep dwight and try to bully ball it or put morris or kuzma in the starting lineup and just play you know spread against spread and have Kuzma guard Crowder and 80s out there with Bam. And it's kind of like a five-out series for both teams. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not quite Houston-y, right? But it is, it, is, it is kind of a case of feeling like who adjusts to who. Because the Lakers could certainly try to really impose their size early on and start Dwight and AD. And, and really, the, the, the Heat, as currently constructed, are not really built to defend that lineup. I suppose G.A. Crowder could, could try to take some time on AD. But um, the matchup that makes sense for the Heat is is Bam on on Anthony Davis, and if you've got Dwight Howard out there as well, how do you 
how do you how do you cope with him defensively? So I think that's that's going to be absolutely something to watch. I mean, if we talked about a Lakers Heat finals in the regular season, and no disrespect to Miami, which was kind of always right there on the fringe of the mix in the East, you know, probably at least deserved to be in the same level of conversation as like the Philly Boston's of the East, while you know you had um, Milwaukee seeming like the favorite in the East. But now that they're here, you know, I think the Lakers, you know, at least in Vegas, are are heavy favorites uh, to win this thing. But is there a reason to be seriously skeptical of the Lakers, you know, cruising through this, these finals? I, I mean, is yeah. it, and, and, and can you just look to what they did in Milwaukee? Is that, is that the, is that what should be sending off up the red flags? Yeah. I mean, like they look great. This is a completely different team than the regular season. Yeah. Heat are. Um, I am as like non-confident, however you want to say it, uh, about the Lakers chances. I picked them in seven, but like this is as, much of a toss-up series as I can remember going in of the three. Portland, I thought that was overblown. Right. Houston, it was like, this has got to be tricky. But I, but the way Houston played against the Thunder was, like, to me, a signal of, like, they're kind of dying a little bit. Um, I mean, they were, like, literally a Lou Dort three away from losing to the Thunder. Right. Um, so by the time that series showed up, I was like, eh, I don't know about Houston. Denver, it was, you know. The Clippers would have been the biggest challenge of all, but like the fact that it was Denver felt like such a uh, like a relief for the Lakers. Like if you're the Lakers, um, this one is like the way Miami kind of like went right through some very good teams in the East. You mentioned the Bucks, right. but even the Celtics. Like right. you know, the Celtics were super hot heading in. They just beat the Raptors, and it was like I think the Celtics would probably consider slight favorites. Um, and the Heat went up 2-0 right away. And I mean, you just go back to the regular season matchups. It's like Bam. What Bam had not taken like the two level step up that he's at now. You know, he wasn't the scoring, playmaking, confident offensive player. I mean, he's always been the versatile defender, but to me, he's at a different level than the Lakers have ever seen him at. Uh, Butler's on a mission, just like we talk about LeBron on a mission. I mean, Jimmy Butler's on a mission. Uh, the Lakers did not see them post trade deadline, and in the trade deadline they got Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala. Yes. And I mean that just really toughens up your wing rotation with with veteran playoff players, and playoffs are a different level. And you know Iguodala honestly has looked a little bit washed up, although he hit four threes in Game Six and has looked awesome. And he's a good rotation piece, but Crowder's been the revelation. Like he's still got a lot left in the tank. He shot it well in the playoffs. He really shot Milwaukee out of that series. Um, and then Tyler Hero. I mean Tyler Hero did not make first team All NBA. Um, he was second team all NBA, Eric Pascal, a guy I covered on the Warriors made it over him. Kendrick Nunn, who's on the heat, um, was third in rookie of the year voting. He's now out of the rotation and suddenly Tyler hero looks like a future star, at least a star offensive player. And he's microwave scoring off the bench right now. He had 37 against Marcus smart and Jalen Brown in a game. He's 20 years old. Um, <laughs> so I mean, he leads that all playoff players in bench points. He has 89 more bench points than Kyle Kuzma, and he kind of is the Kyle Kuzma. It's a different type of role. Hero's much smaller. He's a guard. But that's kind of like the expectation of what the Lakers had is to say, hey, randomly, Kyle Kuzma, come off and pop 30 in a playoff game. Kyle Kuzma has not hit 20 once in 15 playoff games, whereas Hero has has a 37-point game. He has a 22-point game. Like, he's the next factor in this series, and, like, Miami is not who Miami was in the regular season. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, and this this series has so many great storylines. You know, obviously LeBron and, and Pat Riley and Frank Vogel and Eric Spolstra again. But, you know, the, the one that, you know, I, I kind of mentally keep going back to is how badly the Lakers wanted to add Andre Iguodala to be sort of that 
you know, last kind of piece of their, their rotation. And they would they didn't weren't able to pay enough to to Memphis. I mean, we saw, you know, what Memphis ended up getting for, for Andre from Miami. The Lakers didn't have that or weren't going to make that kind of commitment. And he ends up in Miami. And now here he is on the other side uh, in the NBA Finals, which I think is just fascinating because he would have been a perfect fit with this Lakers team, you know, ended up adding Markeith Morris. And again, I don't know that the Lakers really had the assets to make that trade. I suppose they could have sent KCP. Um, there was some talk about Kuzma, but they were never going to trade Kuzma for, you know, basically half a year of Andre Iguodala. Well, you want to know what the other thing is? Uh, Iguodala was very much in control of that situation behind the scenes. And what Iguodala did in my out of Miami is he made Miami agree to extend him and give him another year yep. of 15 million on the back end of that, which is like, I'm not sure the Lakers would have committed to. I mean, listen, when that happened and I, you, thanks for reminding me, I'd actually forgotten that it, it, when, when that, when that happened, of course the Lakers weren't going to do that, but I mean, I mean, they're here, they are, they're in the finals. I mean, Miami's not regretting that Miami could be terrible next year and it was worth it. If that if that got him there and they it got, gave him gave him a chance to, to win and another championship, I think they're fine because they're like whatever we'll commit this money because it's still going to be off the books by the time Giannis right. is a free agent. And that's Miami. He's just trying to get everything off the books by twenty twenty one for for Giannis. Um, but the Lakers that may would make a little less sense and like the you know I mean Iguodala would be in the Lakers rotation right now. Um, and don't get me wrong, that would help. But I I think the Lakers have a pretty steady you know. Uh, rotation that that pieces together well right now i mean so it's to me that's not a huge miss by them i think it worked out i think you know when you go back to the kind of the beginning of the year and andre is just you know twiddling his thumbs and and waiting waiting for a home it felt like let's get this show on the road like he fills the lakers needs but the thing that like i continue to be impressed by is how the lakers have evolved kind of internally and like you've seen contavious caldwell pope absolutely evolve into the player they needed him to be. It's not quite um, mana from heaven, like Rob Polinka referred to him when he signed his first contract for $18 million with the Lakers. He hasn't quite, you know, godlike, but he has really um, embraced and thrived in this role. I mean, he took the challenge of of stepping up in the absence of Avery Bradley. He has been a, an extremely consistent three-point shooter. Like you said, I mean, he has been the probably the third best player in for, for the Lakers. He's been and better than Danny Green. He's been better than Danny Green. He's obviously been better than Kyle Kuzma. And he's just consistently probably at a higher level, at least offensively, than Alex Caruso. So, um, you know, the Lakers have guys internally who are... Um, doing everything you would have expected them to be getting from anyone else who might have, who, who they really might have added, you know, to wit Iguodala. What is the number one aspect of this series you're looking at going into game one? Like, what part of the matchup? I mean, I'm excited for the wing defenders that the Heat have going at LeBron. I think this is a different kind of matchup, toughness wise than the Lakers have, have experienced. I think, you know, seeing Jimmy Butler versus LeBron, the way Jimmy Butler is presumably going to try to come at LeBron, the way, you know, the way Dwight went at Nik- Nikola Jokic. And I don't, I don't think LeBron is a particularly flappable person, but, you know, we talked going into the conference finals about how the, um, the Nuggets had waves of guys that could go at LeBron. And we were talking about, you know, Gary Harris. This is Corey a tidal Craig. wave compared to this like is, a nice this is, little surfing yeah, wave. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are these are dudes who are going to you know really try to disrupt LeBron and who are going to body him from 35 feet. I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see how Le- how LeBron responds. I mean, I think you know I don't think LeBron has had that great of a challenge in these playoffs. I think for the most part, LeBron has gotten everything he's wanted in all three series, and I think that the Heat are going to make it a lot harder. 
And not not to mention, you've got a guy uh, over there on the opposing sideline who knows LeBron as well as anyone in this series. Yeah, I think if you just took every single guy who's guarded LeBron in the playoffs um, and like put them up on a list, you know, hey, we're talking Gary Trent and Carmelo, remember that? Or Mario yeah. Benzonia, how bad was that first round matchup? Um, or you took the Rockets. I guess we would put P.J. Tucker up there, but other than that, you know, Eric P- P.J. Tucker was preoccupied. Yes, with he, with the Lakers bigs. Yes, yes, he was. Um, you know, Covington's, eh, you know, okay. Um, and some of the other, like Eric Gordon, some of the other Rockets never really had much of a chance. Um, even, you know, Gary Harris, solid defender. Paul Millsap can do some stuff, but he's older. I think if we're saying, if we're listing them out, I would probably go like Butler, Iguodala, Crowder, like are among the top three, four, five. Right. Um, of, of guys he's faced. And then honestly, I think Autobio on LeBron at times in this series. I know we very preoccupied. And trust me, Autobio will be preoccupied by Davis, and then we can get to that matchup. But I think he's going to get some shifts on LeBron as like a, the really long, big option because he can really move his feet. Um, so, you know what they're going to mostly try to do? They're going to make stuff tough. They're going to bump him. They're going to hope that LeBron doesn't get nearly the calls that he got against a Jamal Murray, for example, because they are older veterans that can talk to referees. Um, and I think they want to make LeBron a jump shooter. And while LeBron closed Denver out with his jump shooting, his jumper has not been super reliable all playoffs. And I think if they force him into enough jumpers, they're going to feel real good. And I think that's true for the entire offensive scheme and what the Heat want to make the Lakers do. I mean, the Lakers are still not a great three-point shooting team. So they're going to force Danny Green and KCP to make shots because of the way they're going to load up on LeBron and Anthony Davis. And the Lakers have been proficient from beyond the three-point line in these playoffs, but they haven't been, you know, they haven't been exceptional. And, and, so if if you can force you know the Lakers into the half court offense and, and force you know KCP and Alex Caruso and, and those guys to be you know to make to make shots to beat you, I think they're going to feel pretty good about their defensive uh, about their defensive scheme. Yeah, um, the two three zone is interesting. I wrote a bunch about that in the preview I did, but you know that's how Miami flipped the conference finals. Uh, they dropped really in game two. They they kind of sprinkled it in, in game one, but they were up one zero, and then game two like Spolstra really went to it to try to steal uh game two and like boston got out of sorts they were getting a bunch of turnovers kind of like thrown into the active arms they were trying to figure out like where the soft spots to attack they missed some threes which i feel like sometimes when you play a zone you're kind of more weirded out you know hesitant from three uh and and if you're not hitting threes over the zone then it's working typically as long as you rebound uh, but I, you know i looked at some of the film and miami did play at i think 40 total possessions against the lakers in the regular season uh, and the lakers were generally pretty successful against it they had a bunch of offensive rebounds in the first matchup because you know when you're in a zone you're not really assigned to box a guy out and it's much easier like davis attacked the glass for a couple of rebounds kuzma did um but you know and they did do this interesting thing where they had davis sit kind of right in the middle of the zone and they would lob it to him and he had some success there so there are ways and i know frank vogel and that staff is talking about it the next two days ways to attack the two three zone because of how well it worked and the fact that they're probably going to use it against the lakers um but you know if the lakers don't hit threes over the top of it and if miami's really you know aggressively rebounding out of it that could become a, a, a story in early in the series of like you know the Lakers' ability to solve that or not. Yeah, I mean this this series to me is just um, going to be probably the greatest test of will 
that the Lakers have had so far, you know, where there there is going to be a team that really just challenges challenges them defensively and forces them to to get to those next levels. I mean, I think that there was, you know, while while Portland was um, hot coming in and, and Houston was was pesky or you know whatever, and Denver was getting those great contributions from from Jamal Murray, I didn't feel like there was really ever a great threat to this Lakers team. With Miami, I feel like if you give them a little bit of a little bit of breathing room, there is there is an actual threat here because I mean, listen, nobody really saw Miami winning, you know, in that in that second round against Milwaukee, and the next thing you knew, they were up three zero, and it was over. So you know, I I don't see the same thing happening here. But can I see them winning game one? Absolutely. And then and then all of a sudden, you know, game two's game two becomes do or die. Um, and so I just I just I I am I'm really interested to see how the Lakers come out in this series because. Um, to me, if, if you open the door at all for Miami, they're going to barge through like they have in all three series, swept the Pacers, um, beat, beat the Bucks in four, in five, beat the Celtics in six. And they went up big in both those series. Obviously the sweep three, zero against the Bucks and then two, zero against the Celtics. They have, they have really come out firing and really locked in and determined in every series. And the Lakers, as we've seen, have been a little susceptible in game ones. And that, um, and that is something you really can't afford to let happen in, in this finals. If I told you you were, you were going up against Anthony Davis in a series uh, and you get your choice of defenders in the entire league, I mean, you're probably taking Giannis one. I mean, yeah. first of all, you're taking Giannis just because you know you're also getting Giannis. But like, just if we're just talking about pure isolation defenders, one-on-one defenders against Anthony Davis, I mean, Bam's t- got to be top three. Right. I mean, you're taking him over Gobert. Um, I mean, would you take Davis to guard Davis? It's almost it's almost a little bit like Davis is guarding Davis. You know, it's very similar size, very similar length. I would say a bit more, a bit quicker, not as strong, um, but very strong. Um, and and not only that, in ascending Bam, where where I don't think we can yet say, oh man, he's gonna like stop Davis. But after this series, we might have an opinion about Bam as a defensive menace. Um, that he's already kind of getting there. And yes, a lot of his best work has done help side. I mean, his highlight play of his career was that block at the rim on Tatum to seal the win. Um, and that was help side. Um, but he can be a good, just straight up me on you type defender. Uh, and I looked at some of the film and Davis in his past has really baited Bam into fouls, which I think will be an early game strategy because you get him in foul trouble just like they did Jokic that changes the game. Um, but... Man, I mean, like if if Bam can really, uh, you know, lessen Davis's efficiency, then I mean, it's the same thing that that wave of wings is trying to do. To LeBron, you just try to make these guys instead of going eleven of seventeen shooting, they're you know nine of twenty one shooting. That changes the game. I think the thing about this matchup is that there's more straightforward matchups for the Lakers' best players. You know, if you you have Bam on on AD, which is a which I think is a like you said a great matchup. It's very to me. It's not and it's not even close to a push. AD is the better player, but that is a that is a guy who you who if you're Miami, you feel good about putting him out there one on one with AD, um, you know, to start the series. And then the same with LeBron. You have guys that you feel very comfortable with um, matching up with with AD, which allows you to if you're not in the zone, obviously play it a little more straight with the rest of the, with the rest of the roster. So I I am all in on the idea that Bam Adebayo is is going to be a a nuisance for AD or is going to be a challenge. And going back to what you said about this about this Heat team being different from the from the regular season, they have looked every bit a championship contender really from the start of these playoffs. Jimmy Butler has been you know probably the MVP of the East. 
Goran Dragic has been, you know, Phoenix Dragic, uh, Tyler Hero. I mean, just everything about like this, the Dragic, this team. The Dragic rejuvenation is like the very under discussed story in their rise. Like he's, I think, leading the team in like shot attempts and maybe even points. It's funny because you go back four or five years when he signed that contract with with Miami, he was a super sought after free agent. And there was, you know, some thought at, for, at, at one point that the Lakers would, would pursue him and, you know, he locked in on, or did he get traded to Miami and then resign? How did that work? Yeah, it was a little bit like the Iguodala one. Where yeah, it was like, like a, they made the trade, and then they the gave, trade, they, yeah, they And then, and then they gave him like a five-year max or something like yeah. that. It's, I mean, it's really underwhelmed is the point until now. I mean, now he's like completely living up to that contract. Well, he had like a bad knee injury at one point. And I remember like he was coming back from it. I can like vividly remember sitting in an arena, I believe it was probably Warriors Heat and like watching him really get toasted defensively and he's wearing a knee brace and it's it was like almost uncomfortable it's like oh man his career like yeah rough rough injury uh luck there but he just can't move anymore i thought it's you know honestly going into the season he was considered like an expiring deal that the heat would love to get off like a bad very bad uh albatross of a contract now suddenly he's in the nba finals as the the guy who's taking the most shots on the east champ like, that is pretty stunning. Um, and then the other thing I'd say we haven't necessarily talked about with, like, the Lakers on the flip side guarding Miami, um, it's a different test because you think about, you know, you had the Lillard-centric offense, the Harden-centric offense, and then, you know, it was Murray-Jokic, but it was, you know, there's, it was still that star, young scoring guard that can shoot from deep, and then, uh, you know, Jokic is his own task. But the Heat are, like, very different where they, you know, they, they don't really have, like, a, a young dynamic explosive scoring guard and you know you consider hero off the bench but i just mean that's like the center of their offense Um, but what they do have is like they have these shooters that really space the floor duncan robinson is like just kind of a weird guy to track he's never gonna dribble he's kind of like clay thompson light out there um and then autobio is kind of like the playmaking five and like butler who is the star of the team like you don't really mind if he's taking jumpers at all but he is still going to kind of kind of slither in and get his points but there's going to be games where jimmy butler might take seven shots and barely be like he'll still be a big factor in the game but he won't be super aggressive offensively this heat team really pokes you from so many more different ways than the star players that the Lakers played in the West. I feel like you can maybe get away with Danny Green on on Jimmy Butler uh, early on, but like late in games, that's going to need to be LeBron's assignment because I think for the most part, Jimmy's going to be able to go through the Lakers defenders and get and get to the, his preferred spots, kind of inside fifteen feet, uh, get to the rim uh, against KCP. So I, I I think that you know we're going to have to see you know great championship level defensive LeBron again in the fourth quarter, which I mean you've written about. Um, which we got in the Western Conference Finals, but to me that seems like where where we're going to have games decided on you know who wins that Jimmy LeBron matchup in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and you know it might depend on the night. Like Butler, I remember in Game One of the Bucks, like really, I think he might have had like forty, and like down the stretch he really went off. And the story post game was, remember, it was like, we, hey Giannis, why didn't you take Jimmy Butler? But then by by the middle to later that series. Jimmy Butler was no longer the offensive star. And it was like random guys on random nights. Suddenly Duncan Robinson had a bunch of threes or Crowder did. You know, Heroes had a few nights where if game four of the Celtics heat is happening and Tyler Hero's going off, you might not say, hey, LeBron, we need you to guard Jimmy Butler down the stretch. It might be, hey, LeBron, can you go shut off Tyler Hero? Because he's like winning this game right now. 
Um, so that's just the difference. It's like with Denver, it was never going to be like, Hey, Jamal Murray is, or I mean, uh, it's, it was never going to be, Hey, G- Gary Harris is the guy you right. got to go shut down or like maybe a little Porter jr. But she never felt like Porter jr. Was going to take over. He just might hit some threes that helped. Then the, for the Lakers, it really needs to be LeBron or AD that's doing that because we haven't seen, we haven't really seen any of their other guys with the exception of some, you know, fourth quarter bursts from Rondo really establish themselves offensively. I mean, the fact that Kyle Kuzma still doesn't score 20 points in a game, it baffles me. And not saying that they need him to average 20, but it's like you, you you would expect him, somebody that is that offensively minded, to give you at least one of those signature kind of Kyle Kuzma nights. And I, I wonder if maybe we'll finally get it in these finals because, like like we talked about, I mean, there are some conventional matchups for LeBron and Anthony Davis, and does that create a space for um, Kyle Kuzma to maybe finally go off in one of these? Because... I think you are right that the, the Heat ultimately have more weapons and more guys who can who can have big nights and rise up and beat you, even if you take everything else away. If the Heat can somehow, and this is all tall order, don't get me wrong, but if they can somehow take away LeBron and AD or even just limit those guys, who's that next Lakers player who's going to step up and just roast the Heat? I don't know that we haven't seen in the playoffs that there really is that guy. And, you know, Lakers fans are, have been hoping for it and waiting for it and have survived without it. But at some point, it feels like Kyle Kuzma has to get his. Let's kind of back out of the the, the X's and O's part of the matchup and, and look at it more from like the dramatic standpoint of uh, it isn't Lakers Celtics from a brand standpoint. But you know, you this is kind of what you wrote about a little bit is like the there is some denseness to the rivalry, even yes. if it's not an on court rivalry. It's kind of what has gone on in the history of the big figures, and obviously the Pat Riley Miami Heat LeBron connection and. Spolstra the other night, like not having LeBron when he was talking about like this is for you know Udonis and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, and he doesn't mention LeBron. Um, <laughs> you have all that looming over it. I mean, Vogel, who's you know, we didn't talk much about Vogel because Vogel never gets talked about much, but he does have that that Indiana Pacers Miami Heat history. The Heat have been the roadblock in his career of being able to yeah. get to that ultimate goal, and you're right. I mean, to me. This is a much more dramatic series from a storyline standpoint than a 13th Celtics Lakers finals would have been. And it's one of the greatest rivalries in sports, but there's really no, you know, cultural currency between these two, History, uh, yeah. these, these two, these two, the personalities on the Lakers and Celtics. I mean, it would just be that there's gold and green on the court and that, and that evokes a certain feeling. And don't get me wrong. That would have been great. The league would have loved that, but the league is not crying about getting LeBron versus Pat Riley and, um, you know, those two trying to settle kind of an old, an old score, Eric Spolstra trying to out, outwit, um, you know, his former star, um, you know, there just is a lot, a lot to this series in terms of storylines and drama. And, and anyway, you know, I mentioned the Iguodala thing, Jimmy Butler was a free agent last year when the Lakers had a ton of cap space. They basically chose not to pursue him to go all in on Kawhi. I knew people within the Lakers organization who were like, let's not waste our time with Kawhi. Go get the guy we can get, get Jimmy Butler. And who knows if they actually could have gotten him, but there is, you know, a li- at least a little bit of a, of a history there. To me, I just feel like there's a lot of juice. I think there's a lot of reason for the people in this series to come in already kind of angry at the other side. What do you think about the Riley LeBron stuff? And and really more like just LeBron and like the Heat organization and like where that stands going into this because it was a successful four year partnership, but it right. does seem to be a little bit of behind the scenes thorniness where like the Cavaliers when he left that first time in Cleveland, like it was very public. This was kept private. More but- behind the scenes. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, Pat Riley kind of throwing, you know, a little bit of shade on LeBron when he left and questions about whether or not basically LeBron had wronged Pat Riley after all he'd done to get him championships, essentially. That said, I feel like I feel like it's kind of water under the bridge. It felt like that had kind of resolved itself and those bridges had been restored. I just don't know if we're just digging it out, digging it out again because it makes for good, compelling drama now that it's an NBA Finals matchup. Or if there actually might be something there. But I, you know, I have no doubt that Jimmy Butler is using it as fuel, that it's, you know, it's not only is it LeBron, not like you need a lot more fuel when it's LeBron, but it's the guy who um, last led your franchise to a championship and you're really the first franchise player to come in short of Dwayne Wade, who was obviously, you know, in the final days of his career over the last few years. Um, to kind of come in and get and get them back to this point, you're the new face. I think that there's probably some fuel there. I'm sure Sp- Spolstra is using all kinds of LeBron stories and and things like that as psychological motivation for his team. I don't have a great feel for where that relationship between LeBron and Miami is, but we are going to hear a lot about it over the next two weeks. Uh, I do like that Riley's there. And sitting yes. up there and wearing his mask in a, like a little like glass booth the entire time because like a lot of what we've been missing in these playoffs is the crowd shots, the uh, shots of like Adam Silver sitting over there and like this celebrity's here and like this happened behind the scenes in the tunnel and this was the walk and like we're missing a lot of that because everything's so isolated right. and away from he- like civilization, but. This entire heat run, I have very much enjoyed after every game, during games at times where they pan up and it's like Riley clapping and pointing down at Jimmy Butler and just, you know, his, I, you think ABC might play Riley up a little bit in the broadcast? (laughs) Like how many, like what's the over under on like Pat Riley pans over? Well, it's going to be, it's going to be LeBron hits like a dagger three and the camera's going to go straight to Pat Riley, just stone faced not moving a muscle or a single hair out of place and it's just it's go it's going to it's going to help build that drama it's going to be It'll the same It'll feel more Spolstra. like a good like a regular NBA sporting broadcast where you do show people that aren't necessarily like the players during the broadcast right. having a human reaction. Yeah, yes. you know what else is not just like Pat, it's not like Pat Riley doesn't have history with the Lakers. <laughs> I mean Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's just like that a, there's there's just a lot of layers to it for sure. Listen, I mean this feels like a gajillion years ago, but when Magic Johnson quit there was very briefly some conversation around the league in, uh, uh, with people who thought that Jeannie Buss should, needed to go find a way to, to get Pat Riley out of Miami. Now, there was a lot to untangle there. There was there, I think there's an ownership stake with the Heat and all that. So that was probably a long shot all along. But there was a brief um, thought that there was maybe some momentum behind bringing Pat Riley home. And um, obviously, I mean, the Lakers stayed the course with Rob Palinka. Um, he, again, going back to the validation conversation, has completely acquitted himself uh, with the roster he built around LeBron and obviously getting Anthony Davis here. But, um, you know, Pat Riley with the Lakers, I, I mean, my God, I mean, has you know, he is in some ways right there with Magic Johnson, you know, the face of the Showtime Lakers, slicked back hair, roaming the sidelines at the forum, um, just an absolute Lakers icon, played for the Lakers in the 70s, becomes the coach. Um, I think the only thing I kind of miss if Magic hadn't stepped down, if Magic Johnson had continued to run this team and, and things had, had worked out exactly the same, which 
to be honest, they probably wouldn't have. Magic Johnson versus Pat Riley in the finals would be as big of a storyline as anything else. Would Magic be up in a glass booth too? I don't know. I don't know if Magic was coming. What if Magic just showed up now? I mean, it's like, because that's the second tier. You can, I think technically if you come in and you take a test on your way in the arena, you're like allowed to wear a mask and sit up. Under what uh, auspices though? I mean, he he's a fan at this point. He's a, he would, he does no official capacity with Let the Let me Lakers. tell you this. If, if Magic Johnson told Adam Silver or whoever, hey, I want to come and be a part, you know, I just want to walk. I'm not going to be in the bubble, but I'll be where Pat Riley is, essentially. They would let him. I'm big on technicalities. You can't let one fan in the building. It opens the floodgates to all the fans. Jimmy Goldstein would have a legitimate gripe if Magic Johnson could get into tier two of the bubble and he couldn't. I can where Diane Diane Cannon. First of all, Jimmy Goldstein might be able to get into tier two as well. Um, now, can, you know, whoever, can my neighbor get into tier two? No. Is Jimmy Goldstein your neighbor? Do you live in the Hollywood Hills? That would be terrific. If Jimmy Goldstein was my neighbor, I'd probably be in a different profession, most likely. Not doing this podcast? Yeah, <laughs> that too. Um, all right, I got. I took Lakers in seven. Um, I do think this is going to be thorny. Um, what is? Can we get you on the record before this podcast is done? I feel like you can't disrespect the Heat after all they've done. So Lakers in five would be disrespectful. I kind of just thread the needle with Lakers at six. In six, I think I think the Lakers are the better team. I think the Lakers are the more determined team. I think the Lakers have just the best unit right now. I think the Lakers are are going to um, win this series in in six. Regardless of like the exact number that it goes, or even who wins, but mo- mostly what I'm th- like, you know how the Lakers went five 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 in the lead up. Not every five felt built differently. Like Denver felt like the toughest of the five. Yes, right? absolutely. Um, Whatever the Heat go down in, if they go down, I'm not like I, like I said, I picked Lakers in seven, which tells you that I think it could easily be Heat in seven because sure. game seven's a game seven. But I think even if let's say the Lakers do play really well and end up, you know, doing this in five or even in six, it's gonna it's not gonna feel like a Blazers five, right? Like no. this is gonna be, I think, tough to the finish. Even when they're up 2-0, I expect Miami to come in with punching in game three. I don't expect any type of laydown. I agree. And by the time we talk next, by the way, we are going to be uh, several games into this series. We'll have one team up in this series. We have a clearer idea of where it's headed. We're going to know if it's lopsided. We're going to know if it's been, you know, three, three or four, two, two point, you know, thrillers. I'm excited. I'm excited to start watching it uh, Wednesday night. Uh, we'll talk about it um, next week on the Forum Club. Anthony Slater, thank you as always for your for your time and insight. One quick programming note. If you are a Laker fan and you've made it this far in the podcast, then you absolutely will want to listen to this week's episode of Tampering with Sam Amick. He had two phenomenal guests last week. That was me and Anthony Slater. This week, he has a um, someone who's almost as good, Lakers owner Jeannie Buss, who gets into the last decade of the Lakers rebuild, her relationship with Kobe Bryant, Rob Palinka, all the really um, important topics that have kind of surrounded the Lakers organization. It's a fantastic episode of tampering um, on the Athletics NBA podcast show. Please check that out and continue to um, read and support The Athletic. We have tons of great coverage uh, getting you uh, ready for this finals, and we will uh, through all seven games, as Anthony Slater predicts it. Thank you for listening.